0: Joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir.
1: Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Good. What's up, man? Very good. It's summer full on. Summer. Heating up Texas. Oh, man. (laughs) Where we are. I
0: walked outside the other day. It was like 100 degrees, and I was thinking, you know what, if – my stove in my house ever stops working, I can just go cook an egg on my hood. (laughs)
1: Seriously, or or on your car. Yeah,
0: you know, it's, it's crazy. It's funny. The hottest place I was thinking, it's like, man, if I ever had to move somewhere, the hottest place, I was looking at Arizona, and Arizona, plastic trash cans are melting. It's pretty bad.
1: Yeah, and those plastic trash cans are pretty thick plastic. It's not like, you know, Thin, no, no. So if they're melting, then that means it's pretty. Yeah, hard. like
0: pl- plastic uh, walls are melting and stuff. So, oh my yeah. god. Well, cool. Um, so we got a great topic today. This is going to be a very useful topic for a lot of people. Um, not everybody's in the current job market, but if you're in the job market, you know, a lot of times it's good to always have these best practices. And today's fantastic topic that we're excited to talk about um, is digital marketing and analytics resume best practices so th- this is a great one a- a- you know i think this it's always good to review the best practices for 2017 and you know samir and i have been you know both on the interview side as f- as well as the hiring side and we've seen a lot of goods and bads so not from a, and just to throw it out there we're not recruiters you know we're not hr experts but you know we are marketing professionals and we've seen what works and what doesn't work
1: yeah, we're we're industry experts, yes. uh, and we know from interviewing a lot of people uh, for a variety of different roles over the course of last uh, you know, fifteen years, combined thirty years experience in digital and mm-hmm. analytics. Uh, you know, we definitely uh, understand the dynamics of it. It is one to talk about best practices from an HR perspective, uh, but completely different from talking about from an industry best practices. Today, so uh, I think what Jeremy is mentioning earlier is, which is great. We were definitely going to talk about uh, what you got to do for your resume to get a call yes. for interview. But additionally, we also want to provide value and uh, talk about you know what to how to prepare for yes. the interview if time yes. permits. You know, and maybe that could be a separate yep. podcast, but that also could uh, expand. Yeah, and actually,
0: what well. would be kind of cool is, is we can do a follow up podcast on this uh-huh. idea of. You know, the kind of crazy questions that we've heard in the past and some of the things to prepare for and some of the crazy things I ask, and I'm sure you ask too. Okay. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, definitely. So I think the goal should be how
0: to land a job. Cool. Okay, so let's get started here. So we we don't really have a a, a, like a number, like a list of 12 top things. We're going to go through really some key points, some key best practices and, and things to stay away from and so on. And then also, once you've landed an interview, what should you prepare for? So to start with, here's a first key point. So what's the proper length of a resume? So in my mind, you know, there's a lot of people, you've seen some articles about one page. If it needs to fit on one page, concise. Then there's some people that say, well, I, I need more space. I got to have three to four pages. Well, I think one of the best practices we've seen is two pages. You know, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I'm really bad at that. <laughs> My resumes are generally uh, pretty long uh, and lengthy because I'm a very detailed-oriented person. So for me, like if I don't explain the nitty-gritty of things, uh, you know, I kind of uh, miss the opportunity to communicate what I've done and historically. But I think you know between two, a uh, max yeah. three, I would say. Uh, I think two is two best, is best practice. practice. So let's stick to that. I think I like two. Uh, it's short and sweet and communicates everything about you. You know, Some people say if we're not able to communicate what you you are in the in a tweet, then you're definitely missing <laughs> a point. Um, although a resume no. is not a tweet, but it's a combination of many different yeah. tweets, right? Um, so I think it that way. Uh, if you have a, an opportunity to do like 10 or 15 tweets, uh, what would you talk about your career? So to Jeremy's point, I like the idea of keeping it more concise and communicating the value that you sure, can bring to that. Case. Yeah, shoot,
0: shoot for, shoot for two sense. pages. So my thing is, if you have less than five years experience, I would say one page max. There is no reason to put in two pages. And if your first job was, you know, if you are a shift leader at a, you know, local fast food restaurant, but you want to get into marketing and data analytics. It's really probably not necessary that you put that job on your resume. You know what I mean? So there's no reason to have two pages worth of stuff. So I would say, or, you know, I would say one page. If you're between five and 10 years, you know, you can cram it into one page, maybe two pages. But after you go over, after you get over 10 years, 15 years, two pages for sure. And then possibly three pages. And then we'll go into some details.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking like what What are your thoughts on? Sure. If we're gonna talk about detail later, but my quick question was like, what are your thoughts on accreditations, like you know, industry accreditations, uh, not just your college and stuff, but if you have received Absolutely. awards and accreditions, should we keep one page for that or is that? No, I would say
0: that's pages? included in the two pages, and and you know, let, let's that's one of our bullet points, and I'll jump to that one real fast since it's on topic. Um, m- my idea is put in the accreditation. So if you're a data and marketing person, you're listening to this podcast, you obviously have an interest in data and analytics. That means you're very detail oriented. That means you've read, you're the kind of person like me to when you put something together, and I don't know if Samir does this, but I I read the instructions from front to back before I start working on something. In the same way that you read the entire resume word for, or the application word for word, and you look at the job description. So if the job description requires CRM, Salesforce, Sugar CRM, or something, or Marketo, um, Eloqua, Marketing Automation, all these different things. If you want to do um, Google Ads, AdWords certified, I would say put those in, and that should be a part of your two pages. Put in the certifications that are that are relevant and that are important to the job that you're seeking. You know, talking about Google AdWords certification and then applying for a you know, a business development job selling, you know, financial services products, there's no relevancy whatsoever. That's a great point. I like that. All right. Let's go to the next point. So, so who's your audience? You know, when you look at a lot of best practices, you'll see everybody starts with know your audience, who's your buyer persona. And this should be something that's standard because this is a common practice as a marketer, you know, as a marketer, one of your first things to do is understand who's your buyer persona, who's your target market. So basically Know who's your audience. Like think like an employer. for, And you basically craft your entire resume around what you think they're looking for. So if they're looking for somebody who's at a director level, obviously they're looking for, you know, more high level strategy and stuff like that. But if you're looking more for a mid-level marketer or data analytics person who's really just owning a product or a channel day to day, that's what you should be presenting in your resume. You know, this is an important one because as a marketer, you know, it, as a best practice, what we do is we'd like to look at who is the buyer persona, who's our target market, you know who we're really going after. So for this one, the key here is know who is your audience. And one of the tricks here is, you know, put yourself in the position of the employer. Put yourself in the position of the hiring manager who's writing that job description. And imagine what they're looking for. If they're looking for a director level position. You know, obviously it needs to be a little bit more strategic in the way you write your resume. But if you're looking for a mid-level marketer or analytics person who is actually going to be owning a channel, then you should craft your resume specific to that.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, there's also, uh, you know, I like the idea that you brought up the point about audience uh, and the fact that. Uh, who are on the data side of things and who are on the marketing side of things? They are very well aware of the concept of having an audience and defining an audience before we start doing the work. Uh, you know, for an example, an analyst, uh, if they're delivering a specific report to a program manager, mm-hmm. they they have a specific audience that they have to tailor the report to and provide a lot more color, a lot more detail, so the program manager can use the data and do effective usage of the data, versus if they're presenting to an executive. Uh, they have to have uh, more uh, thorough strategic approach to their data in terms of what is the story, uh, what is the data saying. I mean, the, the executive should be able to understand that in one slide and three bullets or less. Yep. Uh, that's the same approach you take for a resume preparation. Is if you're speaking to uh, if you're recruit if you're getting a job that is more senior level and more director and higher. Then you have to position your resume that can speak to a VP or higher because that's what who's going to be hiring for this type of role. Yeah. Whereas if you're uh, positioning your resume for a mid-level manager or less, uh, then you need to be tailoring it to that person because uh, if you know if you go beyond the scope of his day-to-day operational thing and day-to-day marketing and analytics thing, then that person will fail to understand what you're trying to communicate from your resume. So I like the approach. Like knowing the audience is very important in this case as well.
0: Makes sense. Cool. So here's the next one. So what's your story? So overall in an entire resume has a theme or a story. And I'm not saying a theme, like the little design and stuff and, and the way your font looks and all that stuff it's nothing to do with this. Really the story is like, what, what's the story that your resume tells? You know, it's typically when you do it, you have a career story, two to three great stories that highlight your career and those stories can either hopefully not with one company but across multiple companies where you've been able to replicate those same successes. So, you know, I I know Samir when when you've interviewed before and and same here, you have some key stories that you focus on. So, in your in your words, how, how would you choose those stories? Like what kind of successes would you choose within those stories? Uh
1: that's a great great uh point. You know, this is also comes forth in terms of uh In fact, when we design a podcast, you know, we take into consideration what are we trying to communicate? What is the story that we're going to bring in? We're going to bring in some of our own experiences and color commentary on that, and then we're going to relate to the specific topic that we're talking about, like, for instance, today. So story, I I like the idea. Typically, when I go for an interview, I have uh, at least two case studies of the projects and works that I've led and been involved in, Mm -hmm. and then one, it will be a life story, um, so essentially, you know, how did I got started, why I took a turn from becoming a hardcore engineer to more of a, a data person, uh, you know, an operational person. So I always have a story around that. Uh, and I try to tie my experience, my background, my origination, and how did that change came into fruition to where I am today and what I'm doing today. Uh, that kind of helps everyone set the... Uh, kind of the balance of what I'm trying to do and why I'm here and then you talk more specifically based on the questions on uh, some of your recent projects and kind of expand on that.
0: Cool. And, and so with that, let let me jump to one of ours and then we can come back to one of them. But along the lines of a story, here's a best practice or a key point on how to tell that story and we, we like to use the STAR methodology. So STAR S-T-A-R so it's situation Task, action, and result. And so, what that really means is when you're telling your stories or you're writing out your stories in your resumes, you know, as a marketer, you should be able to truncate and shrink that story down into a few key bullet points or even a, just a one good solid two to three line bullet point. Um, but, you know, the situation is here's what was going on. Like the company was losing money or you were tasked with a big, you know, three to 5% growth or a 10% growth. So you had these tasks, you either had to build a team, you had to put together a, a digital strategy, you had to put together, um, you know, pull together big data sets and identify something. Here are the actions that you took with those tasks. I did this, I did this and here are the results. And we'll get into the results in the next segment in the next part. But Really, what are the results, the quantifiable results that you're able to to get out of that?
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I like this methodology, and I've used this pretty successfully in the past, both in terms of interviewing. It also works out very well. Uh, Whenever I try to interview, which I do more today in these times than actually going for an interview. Uh, So when I interview someone, uh, I lay out the STAR methodology in front of them, like talk about... Your most recent experience about this particular project that you did, and explain it in terms of situation, task, yeah, and And I think it works. Yeah, I think it works out very well because uh, normally when you ask someone a question, and depending on how detail oriented uh, they are or not, uh, some people might respond in few sentences and they're going to miss out a whole bunch of things that you're trying to understand from it which is not just how did they do the project but how did they approach it and how do they look at the results and observation yeah and the other sometimes some people may go on and on and talking about a lot of intricate details which were not, which kind of are irrelevant for the conversation mm-hmm. so putting it out like hey tell me this in terms of situation task action and result it makes it uh, you know concise but detailed so it's very useful.
0: yeah and and I have to throw out a key point and I this went just through my head, and I'm sure it may be going through other people's head, but what if what if somebody says, well, if they're a, why would you even help them? Why would you tell them to use a star methodology? Why don't you just let them if they are bad at interviewing, they're just bad at interviewing and don't hire them and move on to the next person? Well, my thought there is there are people out there who are very good at what they do, but they just happen to be bad interviewers. You know, people just sometimes get nervous or, you know, they just don't have the time that it takes to interview, you know, properly. You know, for them, it's like the pressure and something. And that doesn't always translate to the performance in the workplace. Like, for instance, me, as a standardized test taker, I'm terrible. I overanalyze questions and I, you know, and I read too much into the question. And I'm terrible at answering questions rather than just looking at the flat answer, the flat question and giving a flat answer. But that doesn't mean that I'm not a smart guy. And so it's in the same way, you, you're you not cheating by giving them a methodology to use. It's really just tailoring it to the way you want to hear things in the same way that if you're hiring somebody, you're saying, this is how I'd like to see your reports, or this is how I'd like to see your presentations, or this is how I'd like to see the data, and so on.
1: Yeah, I think uh you know taking that approach, uh, kind of what you brought up a point, which is I my observation, especially interviewing for data role, most of the time that people who are really good at data and managing data, data experts, uh, they don't perform well in the interview. And that's just the nature of the role. Uh, so it kind of, you know, I, when you were talking about it, I was like, yeah, that's true because that happens more so on the data and analytics type of person that you're yeah. interviewing because they're really good at what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's just that they're not used to talking people versus in the marketing side, you see a different, right? In the marketing side, people are more conversational uh, because they're marketers, you know, they like to talk and they like to articulate their ideas. They're creative. Uh, so, you know, two sides of the same coin. Like some marketers are more creative and they're very good at interviewing. Uh, and some marketers are more data oriented, uh, and their, their whole life has been uh, syndicated towards data management and data, uh, and attribution and analytics. So they're not that good at interview, but they're really good people in terms of what they do.
0: Exactly. And I think that goes into the next thing is, is, when you're creating your, your resume and you're looking at the specific job applications, you're looking at the job description, that job description is going to be chock full of keywords. It's going to have a ton of keywords that they specifically are looking for because you remember this is either coming from HR who's going to screen you um, or it's coming from the hiring manager who wrote that job description and then it's fed into a system. So what these systems do is they match up the keywords of your resume with the job description to see if there's relevancy. So at the end of the day, it doesn't always have to be even great stories. It just needs to be relevant based on the keywords. So it's kind of like a two pronged thing. It's gotta be a great story when somebody physically actually reads it, but it's also got to have match all the same keywords. So as a data analytics marketing person, you're already focusing on keywords in your day job. You always still have to focus on keywords in your resume. Very important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much more to say about that. <laughs> it's like, no, that's yeah. pretty
1: much well said.
0: Yeah. Cool. So with the star methodology, when we get back to it, results matter. If you don't have results in there, if you're just saying you're responsible for this and you're responsible for ten things within your job, great. There's about a thousand other people who could also be responsible for that, but that doesn't really tell the hiring manager or the HR person whether you can create great results and and results matter. And when we talk about results, results can come in two different ways, qualitative results and quantitative results. And and maybe Samir, we can come up with, um, you know, an example of a good result and uh, a great result, you know, with regards to a resume. So for you, I'll come up with one. So for me, if you're saying you're working on a project, uh, let's say you're doing some lead generation, And year over year, you had a goal, you know, instead of saying an okay way to say it would be increased year over year lead goal and was able to exceed expectations. Great, right? That's qualitative, whatever. It kind of tells a story, but it's super vague and it doesn't really pique any interest. But if I came back and I said, typical year over year was 3.5% growth. I was able to achieve five point seven percent year year growth in lead in you know in lead capture or something boom that's yeah, bigger yep. much bigger exactly. much better
1: so and, and that's more uh, you know that is more uh, numbers driven so always uh, again going back to the point like depending on what the goal type is if it's a qualitative you don't necessarily need number like for me a qualitative goal will be implementation of a new analytics platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a qualitative goal. You know, We com- successfully completed the implementation. We got the technology on board at a much less cost than what industry average is, and we implemented it in a less amount of time than we originally planned, or at least on time. Yes. The project was successfully completed. We were able to derive some new insights from that new implementation that helped us develop you know, new type of reporting the organization. So that is a very good way to talk about a successful implementation in terms of the quality. Now, as you were pointing out, which was a great example of quantity, is you are able to measure, you know, the measurable part is very important. When you talk about the quantitative goal is you have to be able to measure and articulate that measurement in terms of how it benefits the organization.
0: Exactly. And the, and the trick here is don't use numbers that are going to be publicly are probably gonna come back and bite you in the butt. You don't want to do that. You know, use use kind of general statistics and general numbers because you signed an NDA, you you signed a non-compete possibly with your previous company, and you don't want to be able to give away internal information that's gonna turn around and get you in trouble. In legal trouble. That is true. Do not yeah. want to do that. So just you rather than saying you know, 500 million in revenue to 800 million in revenue, and it's a private company, don't do that. Just say 20% growth. That's all you have to say. You know what I mean? That's a great point. Cool. Uh, We talked about certification. So the last key point, and we'll go into some other stuff. So the last key point is, should I name drop with big companies that you've worked for? I, I, You know, I I have two different thoughts on that, but Samira, maybe I want to get your thought on that first. Should you name drop big companies that you worked with or do you work? Yes. If you
1: have done some substantial level of work for them and if you have uh, work for them that has produced measurable results, uh, I would say yes. Generally speaking, uh, I think my my idea behind that is always put those companies on your resume because it speaks to your experience. It speaks to your caliber uh, and the fact that you have worked with companies that are brand names. Uh, kind of adds a level of authority to your resume Uh, because generally uh, you know most of the brand name companies they are very cautious in terms of who they hire so the fact that you work for them uh, my response to that will be i would definitely encourage you to put out there And, and also if there is a good case study or history build your case study and history with regards to some of the experiences that we have had in those brand name companies
0: very good. And so we'll jump into the next part. I'll reference back to the big name. So the some three key best practices we want to focus on. For so the first one is do not lie in your resume. It'll come back to bite you and haunt you. And here's an example. If you name drop and say, yeah, I used to work with Microsoft, you know, big name, right? I used to work with Microsoft and all this stuff. If you met, if all you did was meet somebody who worked with Microsoft at a conference, or you're on a phone call once with somebody but you never actually did anything you never actually had a substantial project then you're lying and it's not like they're going to come back and and scold you for it you know it's just you're putting yourself in a position to where if they said oh you worked with Microsoft and they ask you oh who did you work with i used to work there and all this stuff and then you start having to make something up like you really didn't you're going to look you're going to look like an idiot. Basically, the interview yeah, is over. You're going to over. lose
1: credibility. You know, your <laughs> yeah. interview uh, It'll will be, be over, over right then and there. Right then and there. And, and yeah. it's interesting. That brings me a very recent example. I was interviewing someone specifically for a role. Now, without getting to the detail, uh, that person said something. And because I was on my computer and I was interviewing, I was able to research and immediately mm-hmm. figure out that that was not the case. Uh, so that is a very, very important point. Do not lie on your resume. Do not lie in the interview. Do not lie, period.
0: Yes, because you may have gone to LinkedIn and researched the person that you're interviewing with, but you may not know who they know. And so, for instance, somebody says, oh, yeah, I worked with these people. You never know. I may have worked with those people, too, and I may know them by first name. So the last thing you want to do is is <laughs> is put yourself in that position. Okay, second best practice. Have multiple versions of your resume. I'm not saying one or two. I'm not saying 20. I'm just saying have enough versions that'll help you best position yourself for the job application that you're applying for. Simple as that.
1: Yeah, and do not forget the rule number 1, do not lie. <laughs> uh, which <laughs> yeah. is I like that, you know, we discussed that already beforehand because what could happen is typically if, you know, you're really desperate to find a job and you happen to find all these jobs that have uh, some of the stuff that they're asking which fits your experience but uh, some not. So generally, the idea is like, hey, I'm going to tailor my resume to just look like the job description, <laughs> uh, which in itself is a bad idea. But I think since we already addressed the part that you have to be truthful in your resume, uh, you are certainly allowed to make changes that reflects your experiences that fits the job description. I think it helps uh, it in, does. in a lot of way. It it helps the HR person, even the hiring manager, to quickly skim through resume because. Typically, if you go look in LinkedIn when you're applying for a job, you'll already see now LinkedIn pulls the data that there are like hundred people already ahead of you that applied for it, uh, you know, two hundred people ahead of you that applied yep. for it, things like that. Exactly. So for you to stand out, uh, it definitely is uh, important that you speak to what the job description is in a manner that fits your experience, uh, and then and then on top of that, when you go to the interview, you should have enough back. Backup information that you will be able to clarify and articulate and you know go to go to the star methodology and explain it uh, when you go to the interview. So it's not just in your resume what you're talking about it, but also in the actual job you're able to articulate and uh, list out all the job description based on your experience.
0: Completely agree, great point. And the last thing here, to the key best practice, make sure that your grammar and spelling are perfect. I'm not saying mediocre. I'm not saying misspell a few things. No, it must be perfect. There are people that are going to go through your resume, and if they see that you misspelled the company that you're applying for or the company that you currently work for or a comma's in a really bad place um, or it's just really just bad typos or just grammatical errors, it's going to stand out. And there are people out there who will completely disregard your resume because of something as simple as that. So I don't know if there's much more to be said about that, but it's, it's pretty standard, standard practice. Yeah, cool. So let's get into four things we want to stay away from. What should we stay away from? And we kind of mentioned this already. So the first one is old jobs that are no longer relevant. Like I said, if you are in the corporate world or if you're in the tech world or doing something and you literally did work as a shift leader in a fast food restaurant, that is not relevant. You may think, ah, you know, that's maybe leadership experience or something. I hate to say it, but it's not relevant. You can speak to it and say, "Yeah, I remember my first job. It was tough. You know, I worked at, you know, McDonald's and I was a shift leader for this, and it was tough. You know, I uh, long hours, you know, sweaty ovens, all this, you know, all this stuff. But it really isn't relevant. Only put in the things that matter the most. So
1: that's a great point. Yeah, no, no addition to that.
0: Yep, cool. Next one is. No need for fluff. You don't have to, you know, write more, you know, bullet points just to add space. So let's say you're one of those people that uh, you've got a good one page, but you're trying to create a good two page and you're not really filling up that second page up much. And you just want to add fluff to your resume. Don't do it. Less is better. You know, get straight to the point. Even if your resume turns out to be a page and a half, that's cool. It doesn't have to be a perfect two pages. Just no need to add any fluff because they're going to read it and say, "Why do you even need this?" You
1: know. Yeah, I agree, and then this goes back to the original idea, which was the first point: is keeping your resume concise but detailed. Uh, you know, that also goes back to the thought that if you keep on adding fluff, then you'll no longer be a two-page resume. You'll have to keep adding more pages. Exactly.
0: So the next there is interests and hobbies. So a lot of people get in this idea of saying, man, should I put in my interests and hobbies? You know, I'm applying for this cool startup and you know, I notice that they 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 have free yoga classes or they have, you know, uh, a latte barista or some something, <laughs> you know, all these crazy things. You don't need to say that one of your interests is, you know, is um paddle boarding across the, the river or doing I mean That should come out in the playful conversation that you have when you get to know the person. You know, when you talk about your hobbies and different things, that should not have anything to do with your resume. So for me, interest and hobbies, if they're not relevant to the job, that is considered fluff. So, Samir, you got anything on that one?
1: You know, again, uh, interest and hobbies are also useful to add more color to the kind of person you are. And also depending on the company culture, like if it's extremely uh, you know, tight uh, culture where it's all about work and it's less about you know the actual culture of the company. You should stick, you sh- I would prefer not to have the hobbies in there because they are not going to talk about that. But if it's a company, which is more f- yes. informal and you know they're more casual then it's good to have those types of hobbies and there. also discuss them in the re- interview because it adds more Exactly.
0: Color. So the uh, last one here and then what we will do is we'll follow up with a part 2 of this because I think this is a great topic. So the last thing here to stay away from is wasting space on skills and expertise. So I know a lot of people like to to type out like all of their skills and put a bunch of bullet points and maybe do two or three columns across their, their word doc and say something like time management skills, you know, client management skills or, you know, SEO and all this stuff. You don't need to do that. That's just for me. It's, you're wasting space on your expertise. Like, you know, if, if you're a mid level or higher, you don't need to say that you, you know, how to use Microsoft office. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it's assumed.
1: Yeah. And also the, the way I do that most of the time is have that skill baked into your resume, uh, description. You know, when you're talking about a specific task that you completed or a project that you completed, talk about those specific skill set in there instead of listing them as bullet
0: points. Completely agree. Great point. And so what we'll do is we'll actually, Samir and I will follow up with a secondary or a part two. And what we'll talk about is best practices, you know, once you've landed the interview, what should you prepare for, how you should be ready to answer some of those questions. And we'll give you some idea of some of the crazy questions we've heard or we've been asked and some of the crazy stuff we would probably ask you. Um, I got a few to where people look at me and say, really, (laughs) you want me to do this? And so I I think it's going to be a fun one. So, um, you know, really looking forward to the next uh, part two of this uh, podcast. That's great. Fantastic. Well, thank you again guys. Um, you know, Samir and I are always grateful for you know the feedback that we're getting, you know, the 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 number of views and the, the listens and you guys just following us. It's absolutely fantastic. We are very excited and thrilled to keep on doing this. It's I think been three years now for us almost.
1: Yes, it is. And we're approaching uh, ten thousand yeah. listens, so there will be celebration coming exactly. up pretty
0: soon. Cool. So thank you guys again. You can always find us on uh, uh, datacrackle.com, and um, we look forward to your feedback and your comments. Looking forward. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.